This morning we want to continue on with this Extreme Makeover God edition that we've been talking about. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, we, we've discussed how God, uh, when, when Christ comes into our lives, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. We just sung about it, didn't we? We just sang about that. Makes all things new. That excites me. But the truth of the matter is, is that it starts with revelation, His light shining into our lives. A new work always, always begins with revelation. And then He affects our atmosphere. And then He brings order and structure and that it would encourage growth. And then He takes us through different times, days, and seasons of our lives, all the while never leaving us nor forsaking us. And last week we talked about how He adds the Holy Spirit to our lives in greater measure to bring life from the deepest depths to the highest heights, and uh, not to embarrass Cheryl, but Cheryl got so full of the Holy Spirit last Sunday morning that she couldn't even talk to me. She came over to the, it was her birthday. She says the greatest birthday present I ever had. <laughs> awesome to see somebody filled. That's that's how it was for me when God filled me with the Spirit at camp. I, I remember never forget. I was walking back to our dorms. It was just me and Calvin Shoemaker there that year. Calvin and I were buddies at camp that year, and I'm walking back to the dorm, and the whole time I'm trying to talk to him, Cheryl, I did the exact same thing all the way back to the dorm, and, and he laughed at me. I said, I cannot stop. I said, every time I stopped speaking normally, I would start speaking in tongues. And uh, it's just exciting to know that it goes beyond that, folks. It moves beyond. That's the beginning. That's the start. And God wants to continue that work, moving us forward into the bigger and better things that He has for us. So today, and what in the world do we have in store for day six? Are you ready? Are you excited? Because you seem really quiet today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, And God said, it always starts the same way, doesn't it? Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. I like day six. You want to know why I like day six? Because that's the day God made the cow. And he made beef. Something I hadn't had for a while. But, no, seriously, folks, God, God did an amazing work on day six. On day six, you've got to stop and look back a little bit. On day six, you have to stop and realize where you've come from. Where the earth was formless, it was dark, it was without order, it was without life, it was no life, they couldn't find life, it was not capable to sustain life, it was dead. And then God's light shine on it. And we see that in a six-day period, that it went from nothing to the fullest fullness of life it could possibly be. 
It went from nothing to now suddenly every corner of the globe that you would go to, there was life. From the smallest uh, amoeba to the creepy crawly spiders and bugs, even though you don't think God made them, He did. And the birds and the, the animals and the cattle and the deer and the antelope and the bison and everything. From the largest elephant down to the smallest lizard, God made it. There was life on this earth. It wasn't like the evolutionist that says that God made it or that God didn't make it, that everything come from something. It said God made it all according to their kind. Every kind according to their kind differently. This, this wasn't like Mars or, or like some of the planets where right now they're looking and hoping that maybe, just maybe, we can go and we can find some form of a little bit of life, something where there might be something to find some kind of a life. That's not what it was like. God filled the earth with life. There was nowhere you could go that you couldn't find life in this earth. Nowhere. Suddenly, there was noises. There was beauty. There were all the different things that, that, that was, was amazing that could be looked at. But beyond that, folks, even beyond the cattle and, and the, the deer and the antelope and all the things that play, everything, beyond that, man, made in the image of God. Now, not only was there life, but there was life made like God. Life after His likeness. Life that could, that could not only glorify Him by its existence, but could verbalize it. Think about what I just said. Life up to this point, the birds and the, and the bees and the animals all continue with their cycle and do things and you look at it and say, wow, isn't our God big? This creation and the life that God put there, this, this, this majestic work is so clear that the scripture says that, that we are without excuse. Even if we look at it, we see that it was by him all these things were made. We're without excuse standing before God, even by that. But God went further and he placed somebody made in his likeness on this earth that will move just beyond some eyes seeing it. And now we can articulate the greatness of God we have words we have we have sentences we put together syllables we put together things that, that can verbalize the greatness of God even though we can't fully comprehend him we can declare him different than a dog can declare him amen while all of it declares the glory of God, while all of it shows that, while all of it looks at it, now we also intertwine with that when we come in obedience with Christ, more than just our life declaring the glory of God, now our lips declare the glory of God. You want to know why we have worship services? It's time for us to hear and to see what God has done. I make all things new. And for us to look back and say, this is who I used to be. This is who I am today. Who's made in the image of God? This guy right here. You too. And it's a progressive work. He continues that work. It's a work at this point in our life, after we've, we've been structured, after we've been filled with the Spirit, there's a lot of amazing things that take place in our lives that push us and drive us. And we can look back and say, wow, look what the Lord truly has done in my life. As amazing as this sixth day of work, this sixth day of creation is, I'm about to startle you with what I would say this day could be summed up as. Day six could be called a day of conflict. What? How could you say conflict, Pastor Bob? How in the world can you get conflict out of that? It's conflict because God had made the earth produce vegetation. And now He made eaters. Now He made the things that would control and subdue. Now He made the things that would oppose, the things that would work. And it's this natural balance, this ecosystem that God established and set up where the animals eat the grass. Now, you may say, what are you talking about? Well, as an example, 
um, when I was a kid, we had, we had a woods my grandparents owned, and I played in. I was in it almost every day. Sometimes I, I jumped in the creek and lied and said I fell in. Sometimes I was in my school clothes, and that's why I had to lie. But kids don't lie. It's bad. I repented, and Jesus forgave me. But I, I, I played in the woods. That was my playground, man. And I remember being a kid, and back when, when my grandfather was alive, there was a lot more cattle at the time, and, and, and they kept the woods ate down nice. I mean, you walk back there, it was like it had been mowed. You had to walk around some things. You know what I'm saying? It was mowed. The cattle mowed it, but... If you mow a yard with your mower, there's exhaust and it just goes up into the air. But cattle's exhaust is different than, than lawnmowers. Okay? And I, but see, that's part of the cycle. It's part of the process. It eats the grass. It fertilizes the grass. The grass grows and so it eats more grass. It opposes that which was growing. God has placed some things in us. And listen, folks, some of the best thing that can happen for us is for us to face some opposition with the things God's given us. It's true. For example, Dorothy Cunningham. Precious Dorothy. I love, I love your mama. She's a sweetheart. I love to visit with Dorothy. I go in there, and, and for those of you that know Dorothy Cunningham, she, her, her spine's crooked. She's got a spine that's bent sideways and crooked. She has trouble sitting in her chair. She's got this one leg. It's about this much too short, and she says it keeps getting shorter. She's got, she's got like a hernia thing in her stomach and something going on, some digestive issues. She's got to have oxygen all the time. It, she's, she's sensitive to, she could get pneumonia and different things real easily. She deals with a lot of stuff, but she's told me something that was very wise. She's a very determined little woman. She's a very determined little woman. She told me, she said, Pastor Bob, she said, I, I always ask her, I say, how you doing? She just smiles, says, oh, about the same. Leg still hurts, this leg gives out on me when I get up and I whatever. She says, she's told me this three or four times. She said, but you know what? I want to go in there in that room and lay there. She said, but I don't. Because if I get back there and I stay there, if I don't get out of bed, I'll just stay there and I'm done. I won't be able to take care of myself anymore. So what she does is the very fact that, the, that gravity is there, fighting against her. She puts her little feet on the ground and she grabs her little walker and she works her way into her chair. She says, because if I stay in there, I'll stay there for good and I'm finished. Listen, God established gravity even on this earth to fight against us. Some of us, as we get older, we hate gravity more, don't we? <laughs> don't we? It's like, you know what? That never used to be there 10, 20 years ago. Gravity does some evil things. But listen, gravity is important for us to even remain strong and healthy. If we went out into outer space and floated around for six months, we'd come back and say, wow, I wish I would have had some gravity when I was out there. Or if you lay in bed for six months... Listen, opposition is good. It helps make us stronger. And people that want to get stronger will even put weights in their arms to help increase gravity so that they can build their strength up. So when they drop those weights, they're even stronger. So we have this thing called opposition. After we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, after we've had all these works that we've talked about, God brings some conflict in our lives, catch this, that we're supposed to rule over. Hear what I'm saying? Conflict that we rule and subdue. And this is what we're going to talk about. You say, Pastor Bob, God doesn't want to bring conflict into our life. We're going to cover this in just a minute. But the reality of it is, if you think about it, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 were brought into the church, and then what happened? Conflict. Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, comes up, the Father speaks over and the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then what happens? Conflict. Send him out into the wilderness so he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. 
Well, for 40 days in the wilderness, then tempted by Satan. The reality of it is this, folks. God allows conflict into our lives to grow us and drive us to our knees so that we will depend upon him so that we may stand and we may rule and subdue that which is trying to destroy us. Oh, this is going to be so good today. This is going to be so good. I'm already excited and I've just barely started preaching. We have another uh, testimony this morning. If you gentlemen would could run that for us, uh, we will be watching and listening for conflict. Hi. Um, I'm here to give you uh, part of my testimony. Um, my wife and I, uh, we've, been, we've been married almost 23 years. And when we both uh, when we both got married, uh, neither one of us uh, were born again Christians. Although we we, we both attended church uh, growing up, and and we all believed in God, and we knew there was a Jesus. Uh, but it was my wife who uh, who pursued uh, what born again being born again meant, and uh, she wanted to know what it was all about, and she wanted uh, she wanted to receive it, but she, uh, no one she couldn't find anyone that could give her all the adequate answers. Um, so. She kept on asking, and um, that first year, uh, our first son was born 10 months after we were married, and uh, it was a short time after that, uh, her uh, neighborhood church that she grew up in uh, got a new pastor, and he was, he was uh, doing his rounds, visiting all the new, uh, uh, new folks, getting to know them in their houses, and, uh, and he had stopped by our house, and he had talked to her, and he had asked her if, if she was born again, because, see, he was a preacher, uh, a little bit different than some of the others that they had in the past. They've kind of been going through preachers in the last three years. Uh, but this was someone who was preaching the gospel, uh, preaching Jesus and doing it by the Holy Spirit. And he, he had asked her if uh, she was born again. And she said, well, what is it to be born again? And, and she asked, how can I receive this? And, and that very day, he led her to the Lord. And a light had come into our family. And... Um, but it was only her. Uh, I didn't get saved for another five years. For for five years, um, you know, she was she had the light and I had the darkness, and uh, that makes a conflict. And it was it was miserable for five years. Um, she, uh, I thank God for her because uh, she did not compromise her faith. She was immovable. She kept praying for me. She kept praying for her family. In the next five years, we had two more boys. And uh, she was going to church faithfully. She was believing. She was praying. And uh, I was still miserable, even though I started going to church and playing the church game. And I was in church for five years before I ever got saved. Uh, kind of embarrassing, but it just shows you that uh, the patience of God. But uh, there was a conflict in our family for five years. And uh, it wasn't until my wife got radical form of cancer uh, that uh, God walked her through that. And on the other side of that, she wasn't changed. She wasn't offended by it. Her faith was more, it was, it was increased, it was stronger. Uh, but me, I was unchanged, I was unmoved uh, in, in my darkness. Uh, but it was after that that uh, our marriage was in dire straits, and uh, we even separated for a short time. And that was when I had uh, finally opened the door for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in my life. And, uh, and it was after that that I got saved. But uh, looking back, um, 
as we heard from Tim last week, uh, both him and his wife both got saved on the same day, and, and that's the will of God, that, uh, that we get saved today, right now. That's, that's when we need to be saved. And you don't want to go through what we went through. It's, it's just, it's, it's miserable. It's a miserable life. Our marriage was dead. Um, but I thank God for my wife, and I thank God for those who prayed. And they didn't give up, and there was a lot of people giving up on our marriage. Uh, but not my wife, and, and certainly not God. So, so if you're going to get married, uh, you want to marry a person who loves Christ more than they love you. they got to put Christ first. Not just in the middle. He has to be first. That's the way it's got to be. I know it. So, thank you so much. Appreciate Chris. I know. I know. There's way, way, way more than that to their testimony, and, and uh, hopefully, sometime we'll have an opportunity for him to share the whole thing with the church. But, but uh, did you hear the conflict? We all have conflict, church. That's what brings us to Christ. We, we have, when, we, when the light shines into our lives, we have the responsibility to respond. And all of us, before we responded to Christ, had an inward battle. Will I respond or will I not respond to this? And not only that, as, as their testimony said, it moved beyond. After salvation, things aren't always warm and fuzzy, are they? Missy, poor Missy gets saved and she's got a rebellious Chris at home with her. Fighting her on things. And then, and then Missy's trying to pursue Christ. It wasn't easy. Chris became her opposer. Became the conflict. And then she continued to stay strong and pursue Christ in her faith. And then what happens? Oh, lo and behold, there's sickness involved now. And it wasn't shaking her. And it didn't move her. And she pursued in Christ regardless of the conflict. Listen, my friends. She ruled. And because she ruled and reigned above it, her husband was not only saved, but today we have this testimony. Because why? Because we need to understand in America, there's something that we have got to grasp. There's something that we've got to understand. Because the enemy has deceived us in America to think that comfort is what we seek in Christianity. Comfort, our, us seeking comfort will cause us to rebel against every authority. It's what I want, Pastor Bob. This is who I am. This is what I need right now. And don't you dare, don't you dare encroach on my comfort. Don't speak harsh messages. Don't speak something that's challenging. Don't confront me, Pastor Bob, because if you do, I'm not paying my tithe and I'm not coming back as if that matters about the tithe. Listen, that's not what God wants. God does not want us to get in, into some kind of a mindset that says it's all about comfort. My family and I just bought a video series, a Christian video series called Travel the Road, just something to watch as a family. And it's, it, it, it's like a documentary following these missionaries on their journeys. And they were in Tibet. And as they're in Tibet, they're sitting in this tent on the side of a mountain where it's just desolate. There's nothing growing there. And this, these families are gathered together in tents living there. They have a fire in the middle of the tent. And when the wind would blow through it was freezing cold the edges of the tent would come up this much and the wind blow through there and little kids sitting around the fire covered in filth and dirt and these missionaries sitting there sharing the gospel with them these people aren't worried about television they're not worried about their lounge chair they're not worried about the temperature of the building they just want to survive that day but we in america oh pastor don't you dare mess with my comfort don't you dare mess with the thermostat. Don't you dare change the color of the carpet. You're going to change some processes in the church? Are you kidding me? Listen, folks, we get caught up in comfort, and it's a lie of the enemy. 
It's what the enemy wants us to believe. It's deception. The same group goes into Nepal, and they're in Nepal, and there's this little hut, grass roof uh, hut with stilts around this, the edges. The animals lived in there with them, and there's seven children. And the little kids had no clothes and ran around naked most of the time, so these missionaries brought some food and some clothes for the kids. You tell me what they're worried about when they hear Jesus. Are they interested in Jesus bringing them comfort? They want supplied with living. They need things. But we in America worry about comfort. Listen, we want Jesus to come into our lives and make everything better. Your life is a mess. His addition without your repentance isn't going to fix anything. God wants to grow us, and sometimes He grows us through conflict. Pastor Bob, I don't like conflict. Well, then you're not going to grow. That was a really hard statement, wasn't it? Listen, nobody loves it. Nobody loves conflict, but it helps us to grow. Let's move on. Hebrews 12. And as we go there, I just want us to understand that the fact of the matter is that trials should be as natural for life as it is to see a cow eating grass in God's creation. Trials are going to happen. Conflict is going to happen. But what's most important is how do we handle that conflict? Hebrews says this in chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not something that's intended to wound us, wound us forever. The enemy has planted the seed in people's minds that God is an abusive father. He is not abusive. But Pastor Bob, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, that's not why we got into the faith to begin with, to make bad things stop happening, because bad things happen to everybody. Sometimes it rains on the just, sometimes it rains on the unjust. It, we, we have to realize that part of this life, bad things happen. It wasn't the call to make things warm and fuzzy. It wasn't. We all have issues we're going to face and deal with. But the reality of it is, is that through those trials, God can take them and work them out and use them for good, building us up and not destroying us. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph and all the hard things he went through and all the stuff he faced and dealt with and ultimately when it come down to the end and his brothers were there and, and they're repenting saying, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, we shouldn't have done this, don't kill us. And he's saying, look, he said, no, no, no. God took something that was meant for evil and he used it for good. Listen, the enemy may attack, may things happen to our bodies, all kinds of stuff happen, but conflict will happen, but we are called to rule above it. And this is a discipline thing to teach us and to grow us. And we have to realize that the small child, we cannot be like a small child that when they're disciplined, walk off and say, I hate my father for paddling me and refuse to accept the discipline and grow from it. When we refuse to accept the discipline and grow from it, it doesn't matter if we're 40 or 50 years old. If we maintain the same mindset and attitude that we did as a child, we're still immature. 
Have we seen them before? Jails are full of them. Jails are full of people that think that they don't have to live by anybody's rules or standards and they hate the disciplinarians that have to enforce it. Listen, we've got to move beyond that as Christians and not allow this stuff to offend us and not allow us to be upset with God, even though it seems harsh at times. James, 1 is, uh, James is sick enough to say this in verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the desire of God. That's the purpose of God. He brings conflict into our lives. And he also, you tell me, when God says this, and he says, man, I want you to rule over this stuff. When he ruled over it, did he put him in charge of something that was never going to need instruction, never going to need tending? Did he? No. When, when, when somebody's putting leadership over something, they're put in leadership with the expectation that something's probably going to need tended eventually. And man was called to rule over it. Our lives are going to need tended. Our lives are going to have conflict. But because we're made in the image of God, can I get an amen? We are called and equipped to reign above instead of lowering ourselves to the nature of this creation and try to act like animals and respond to everything. We're called to reign as He reigns. So conflict and discipline, for conflict and discipline to remain healthy, it must be ruled by us. John 14.1 says this. We talked about it a while back. I just want to make a reference just so that we kind of understand where we're at. Jesus told His disciples before He went away, they were stressed and upset. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in Me. Jesus entrusted the disciples with the responsibility of guarding their heart to not let the core of their being become troubled. Why? Because this life is full of trouble. I'm not going to re-preach that message, but just as a reminder, this life is full of trouble. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled, which tells me this, that we have a tendency to allow our peace to be taken away by things around us. The core of who you are, your faith, your belief, your faith in Christ, don't allow it to be troubled. Even if there's conflict coming, even if there's bad things coming into your lives, protect your hearts. Problems only do damage when we have not ruled over them, when we have not protected our hearts from them. So, so how do we do this? First, number one, some problems are like cattle and must be fenced in. Some problems are like cattle and like livestock and must be fenced in. What is that? What, what is it that we need to keep fenced in? We've got to regulate our carnal nature. We've got to fence in and, and, and control and contain our carnal nature. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh, or in other words, your carnal nature is weak. The spirit is willing, but your, your selfishness, your desire for comfort, disciples, at the time to go sleep, that, that is going to drive you to sin against me. Just, just pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now this is something that we all got to come to grips with, folks. There are certain things within us, in our carnal nature, in this old man right here, the stuff that, that I'm trying to crucify, that need to stay inside and not come out. Hear what I'm saying. Because if the cattle get out, they eat the fruit in the garden. True? 
When the cattle get out, they eat the fruit. Why? Why are you saying that, Pastor Bob? Because there are lusts, there's thoughts, there's things of, of my carnal nature that the Scripture says is opposite to and opposes the Spirit. And I am asked of God by the power of His Spirit to rein those things in. There are certain things I should not say. There are certain things I should not be looking at. There are certain places I should not be going. There are certain things I should not be doing. Even though I may have a thought, even though I may have a quick reaction of a desire to a lust or a, a thought or an anger or whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit's saying, whoa, put the fence there and don't let that out. You don't need to do that. These, are, these internal things, you don't have to submit to that. You are to reign over it. There are some internal things that we got to deal with that the Spirit of God has empowered us to overcome. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, fencing in every thought to the obedience of Christ that says the enemy, absolutely not. This is as far as you can go. You are not going to be acted upon. I don't care how much you lust. I don't care how much you want to desire to lie. I don't care if you want to steal. I will not let you out of this fence. You are contained. You are subdued. You are ruled over and you have no say. That's our carnal nature. It's got to be fenced in. It's got to be shut down. It's got to be shut off because if not, it will eat and destroy the fruit that God has placed inside of our lives. If we accept our sin, this is something I'm growing in, folks. We've, we've been, I've been doing some study. We've been indoctrinated wrong in some areas. And one of them is, is to sin. Oh, we're just always defeated by sin. We're just going to always be defeated by sin. And I've been doing some fun It's not in the Word. We're called to overcome it. We're called to continue to grow and to develop. It doesn't mean that in that process we'll never have sin. But as we grow, there should be less and less and less as we become more like Christ. And we do that through conflict. If we sit here and say and ignore it, ignore it, we ignore a deeper transformation that God wants to do in us. To live defeated by our old sinful nature and say that I will never overcome is to act as though the enemy is greater than God. Just let that soak in for a second. 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Secondly, some conflict is like wild animals and must be fenced out by holy living. 1 Corinthians 6 says this in verse 12, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's per permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Have you ever heard somebody make an excuse to do something to say everything's permissible for me? You say, yeah, but it's not beneficial. Listen, Paul alludes to the fact here that there are some permissible things that we allow into our lives that has an element of bondage that can hold us if we're not careful. I don't want to let things in from the outside that will master me. Listen, we're going to have conflicts within, we're going to have conflicts without, and there are going to be things outside of us that try to master us. There are going to be things that try to come in that we are going to have to build a fence against. There are some things that we're going to have to put a barricade against and deal with and say, absolutely not. There are some external things on television and on the radio and all these kinds of things that will feed to the internal things and try to feed them and strengthen them to break out of the fences that I've allowed to establish inside of me. The things that I'm, I'm trying to kill that carnal nature. All it's doing is trying to reproduce it and make it bigger and meaner. 
There are some things I've got to keep out. Do you know that there are some people you've got to keep out of your life? There are. And if they're influencing you, if all they're doing is crossing your fence and destroying your fruit, you need to shut it down. There are people that want to bring conflict into our lives. There are people, all they want to do is tell you what you can't do, what you will do, and what you're supposed to do. And we got a rule on that stuff. Well, pastor, you can't do this, or you can't do that, and I'm going to do this regardless. Listen, I can't be drawn into that stuff. I've got a rule above it. And you say, but Pastor Bob, at my workplace, I'm different than you. I'm the little guy on the totem pole. I have no say. Nobody cares what I say. And all they do is they, they constantly are, are, are saying things to me, or doing this, or doing that, or messing with my workplace, and constantly uh, just pointing stuff out and hurting my feelings. And I just, listen, how do I rule above that? Well, you rule above it by obeying the Word. But, but, but the conflict won't stop. Well, according to Proverbs, what does a gentle word do? Turns away wrath. What, according to the word of God that says, says, for as much as it depends on my neighbor, no. As much as it depends on Pastor Bob, no. As much as it depends on the board of the deacons, no. No, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. Rule above it. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get drug into it. Build a fence and say, absolutely not. I am not getting involved in this gossip. No. I am not going to the lies. I will, not, I will not react to what my boss said, even though I don't think it was fair. I am going to control me. And when I do that, I reign and I rule. From the bottom up. I set the atmosphere. I set the tone. When they realize they can start getting at you, that's when you start reacting and things hurting you. I I, my, my daughter had some situations with some girls this year and, and some things they were saying and doing to her. And, and I told her, I said, baby, you just got to live above it. And you, can't, you can't let them control you. I said, all they're doing is telling you stuff that so-and-so said this and this one said that. And so-and-so told me so-and-so said this. I said, then you need to get away from the ones telling you what so-and-so said. You don't need that nonsense. And who cares if that person don't like you anyway? Well, she's telling everybody that nobody likes me. And I said, that's not true. I can name five kids right now are good friends with you. I said, that's stupid. You don't need that. Don't get involved in it. Keep your mouth shut. Stay away from it. Keep doing what you're doing. Everybody's going to see what they're like. And they'll have to deal with their own issues. You know what she did? She did what I told her. And like three days later, she goes, I don't know what's going on, Dad. It's all kind of stopped. It's like, (laughs) ta-da! They can't get to you. Smile and say, hey, nice to see you. Go on. And if they talk behind your back and stab you, who cares? There's going to be people who's going to do that to you your whole life. You might as well learn now how to deal with it in the seventh grade. Because seventh graders are all through life. They never grow up. Nobody disciplined them. And they didn't react to the discipline like they're supposed to, so they're 45-year-old seventh graders out all over the place. I'm preaching, folks. You know it's true. I've worked in the same places some of you guys have. I know it, it happens. You've got to rule above it now. Oh. I'm, I just... If you want to get rid of me, you can get rid of me. I'm just going to keep preaching. I... <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Another thing that bothered me, the enemy tried to use against me. Can I share it with you? Yeah. Carol used something last week. The enemy, I'm going to share what, what the enemy tried to use against me. He took scripture from your testimony. You shared it and said the enemy used this against me. And I, I was embittered. I was upset with God and just kind of turned away. Here's what God challenged me with. Conflict in my home. 
He said, Pastor Rob, you can't be a pastor because, see, the Word of God says right here, you can't be an overseer, you can't be a deacon unless, unless you're ruling your home well. And for a long time, the enemy messed with me, with me on that. I mean years. I mean years and years and years and years. Listen, listen, folks. If you've got a rebellious child, hold on. Just keep disciplining them. Keep, keep going. What, what the enemy showed me on that is, is saying, see, Bob, you failed. It's not right. It's, you're not doing the right thing. But what God said is, hey, listen, 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 Bob. It's not, I never promised you that there would never be conflict. I gave you authority in a situation that's going to have to be maintained. What have you done with the conflict? I said, well, Lord, I've lived according to your word. I've done what your word says in this. I've managed my marriage well. I, I love my wife. I'm disciplining my children. I'm making sure my bills and my finances are paid. I'm upkeeping my home. People can walk in my home. It's clean anytime they want to. And God's saying, Bob, then you are ruling and managing your home well. If you have a rebellious son or daughter, if you have a, re- a situation going on like that, are you dealing with it like it's supposed to? Yeah. Then you are ruling your home well. Do you know how many deacons and how many pastors have been held in bondage because they have a rebellious son or daughter and something pops up and then everybody judges the pastor for it even though they've done everything they can possibly do? What, some of you have never had any rebellious children? <laughs> Listen, the enemy don't hold that over me anymore. You know what happened? It's broke. It's broke, man. It's, it's broke. I, my home is peaceful. And, and the enemy has tried to hold that over my head for a long time. My home's full of peace right now. And I praise God for it. It's not because something I've done. It's what God's doing. And I'm just thrilled because the enemy likes to take the word and mess with your head. There are some things that we have to realize that ruling and reigning over certain things on the outside, though it may come close to us, we have to rise above them. And if we are faithful to God's word, God's word will come true and it will produce the fruit that he's promised it will produce. I just felt like somebody needed that. Last but not least, I know it's getting late and I'm hurrying. But since I've been on a diet, my tummy doesn't get hungry as quick, and it's not growling. Some, some things, last but not least, some things are so wild that they can't be fenced in or fenced out. For example, squirrels. I don't care where you go in Covington, you're going to see stupid squirrels, and chipmunks, and cats, and skunks, and... Skunks, yeah, all over Covington. It's like, what are skunks all over Covington for? You drive down the road and go, skunks. There are some things, folks, that are going to come into our lives that we can't control. Our carnal nature, we're expected to control. The things on the outside, we're expected to how we control ourselves and reigning over and dealing with it. But listen, just like in Missy's case, she was saved. God saved her by His grace. And then a wild animal called cancer came into her life. It didn't matter how she had eaten. It doesn't matter how she... All of a sudden, here's this cancer. There are some things that God will allow into our lives, these hard conflict things, that even with that, we're expected to rule and reign above and not let it destroy us. If Amber would come, just close this out quickly. Norma... Easter is a precious lady that's new to our church. And just I sat with her and visited last week after the service. Norma has been dealing with uh, a type of cancer. It's a blood type of cancer, right? For three years, she's been dealing with it. And as I sit there and talk with her, she wasn't concerned about herself. She's concerned about her daughter and her, her grand, grandchild and, and all the stuff that's going on. And she said, you know what, Pastor Bob, over the last three years, I've seen God do some amazing things in my life. Norma, I'm praying for you for absolute healing, the same healing that Missy's received. 
Believe in God for that. And if you don't know Norma, get to know her. She's a sweet lady. She's here to stay. And there's, there's many of us here that have dealt with many, many things, but, but, but we should not allow ourselves to have our hearts be troubled by it. I'll never forget, I was at Riley Hospital. Alyssa had had her surgery for her kidney reflux and all the stuff that was going on. It was a fairly minor surgery, but after it was over, I'm, in the, I'm, a, I'm such a wimp. I'm sitting there in, I'm sitting there in the room and, 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 and her bladder would, would uh, cramp and contract. And it would do it for several minutes. And she would just curl up and scream uh, like a Charlie horse on the inside of her body. Scream and, and, and cry. And, and April, who's smaller and much sweeter than I am, is much stronger in that situation to sit there and rub her and talk to her and help her through it. And I'm sitting there going, I'm gonna, uh, this is awful. God, do something. So I left. I went out. I had to grab something out of the car. And I, I know it was like, oh, I forgot something out there. But really, I'm going, oh, thank God I forgot something out there. And I go out to the car to get it, and while I'm there, I'm getting it out, and there's this guy sitting behind me on the back of a truck smoking a cigarette. And I said, how you doing today? He said, all right. He said, you got a kid in there? I said, yeah, my daughter. I said, it kind of explained what was happening. I said, how about you? You got family in there? He said, yeah, my grand, granddaughter's in there. I said, what's, what's going on? He said, well, my daughter, uh, about a month and a half ago, was driving home, and, and somebody crossed the line and hit her head on. And uh, my daughter survived. She's doing okay now. And he said, but my granddaughter was, was decapitated internally. And he said, you know, it severed her head from her spinal cord. And so she's here getting surgery and a lot of different things done. And, and they said, you know, she'll, she'll never walk. She'll never, she's, she's going to be a paraplegic the rest of her life. But they're trying right now just to save her life. He said, but you know what? He said, we've seen some signs. She's moved her fingers a couple times. And doctor said that maybe, you know, maybe by some miracle, she'll be able to develop through therapy ability to move her hand a little bit and possibly maybe if they're really lucky, her arm. And suddenly the situation for Alyssa got really small. And I began to weep. And I told him, I said, I'm going to be praying for you, your, your family and your granddaughter." And I walked away from that situation and I said, thank you, God, and forgive me. Forgive me for being frustrated. I just don't want to see my daughter hurt. Listen, even in the midst of that conflict, God reminded me of something. I'm aware of your situation. And most of the time, most of the time, it could be worse. Listen to this scripture. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, he said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. We always look at that and think of murderers and people that can harm us. But don't be afraid of cancer. Don't be afraid of sickness. Don't be afraid of, of heart disease and all the things. People walk around afraid all the time. Jesus says, don't be afraid about the things that can take your life. They cannot kill your soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen to me. When the enemy comes in and he tells you that you've tried everything, Pastor Bob, you've put fences in your life, you've, you've guarded your heart, you've guarded your actions, you've, you've guarded what you've put in your body and your head and all this stuff, and you've done all this stuff, you've been so faithful to God, but look here, look what God's done to you. Isn't that how the enemy works? Listen. Those things, some of that stuff is completely out of our control. You can eat as healthy as you want. You can exercise. All those things may extend our life, but it's never going to keep you from getting a cold. And it's not going to keep you from other things. Some of that stuff you just can't keep out. 
But I want to encourage you today that God sees it. He's aware of it, and you are more valuable. If he's aware of a sparrow's life, how much more valuable are you than many sparrows? Hallelujah. So when we look at conflict, we put it in perspective by knowing and understanding. My God sees this. And because my God sees this, I can rise above it. And we have a life ahead of us on this day six. A life of understanding to know that God is going to enable us to rise above the conflict we face. And that all through the rest of our lives, our development, our maturity, our growth is going to continue. Even though we're on day six, the last day of God's creative work, some of us in our lives may be on day six and we're looking at the next 20, 30 years, 40, 50 years, whatever, of God just growing us from conflict to conflict to overcoming to overcoming to overcoming conflict after conflict. But I can tell you, don't get tired. Don't be weary and well-doing because in the right time, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. Missy's harvest was her husband as a believer. It's a harvest. And together, they've been through many, many conflicts and harvests in their lives. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your presence today. I thank you, God that you're going to move in this communion service. If our men would just get, begin to come up here and come, I realize the hour's late. If, you're, if you have to leave, I understand, but if you could just stay for a minute and join us.